I'm looking at the paper today, and I see one of these little fillers. You know these little fillers that say uh, there are 14,229 left shoes that have been found abandoned in railroad stations in America in 1964? You've seen that kind of stuff? Well, I'm reading this little filler, and it, uh, it has an, an interesting statistic here. It says, Blankety Blank Lake is the deepest lake in the United States with a depth of 1,932 feet. That is a deep lake. What lake is that? It is not Hapapatkong, which has a depth in one place of over 12 and a half inches. When the wind is blowing in the right direction after a good rain. This, uh, <laughs> no, I'll tell you what lake it is. It's in Oregon. Crater Lake. 1,932 feet. Oh, boy. Well, I, I thought about that for a minute. I said, gee, that's important, you know. That's just the kind of stuff that boring people would talk about. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I don't make any, I, I, I just make no, uh, I make no, uh, claims. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, uh, you know. I admit it, you know. So what am I going to do? As George H. says, he says, if the words are nice enough and they sound good enough, the people will pay anything for them. That was bad. I'm getting calls from all these people who believe in astrology all over. Sorry. Sorry, friends. Call, the, call that crowd down to the other end of the dial. I believe in flying saucers. There's another crowd. Yeah, I find people who believe in the, in the astrology also tend to believe in flying saucers. They tend to believe that the earth is hollow and that there are guys down there with fur in their ears who, who uh, you know, years ago uh, decided to create a better society. Uh, and they're living down there in the hollow earth. They also believe that, uh, that the Air Force is faking it. They, uh, they believe that there is a cure for cancer, but the AMA is prevented from coming out because they make so much dough from cancer cures. Uh, let's see what else they believe in. They tend to become, in later life, vegetarians. They also tend to believe strongly in cats. They quite often wear either tennis shoes or space shoes, sometimes both. They tend to do a lot of knitting. I've noticed that. And if males, they generally wear cardigan sweaters. Yes, they do. They wear cardigan sweaters, and they keep saying, Well, you never can tell. Yes, you can, friend. You can tell them every time. Here they come. The March of the Barbarians. It's one of those nights, you know, I just feel, I feel randy tonight, raunchy. I know the word is really rank. Do any of you know that word? You know, it doesn't have any, the use that I just used. It has nothing to do with making PFC. Uh, although I will remember that day to the no, really to the to the my dying day. I remember the day I made PFC. It was just so exciting. Did I ever tell you how I made PFC? You don't want to hear that. That's a dull story. Well, no, not me. No, it wasn't very dull. Actually, it was. It, it, to me, it remains one of the great mysteries of my life. How many mysteries do you have in your life? I mean, a real mystery. You cannot explain why a certain thing happened. I suppose if you get enough of those, you start to believe in astrology. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm so... It's uh, These people who believe in these... Uh, you know that every four or five years, uh, some, some cockamamie character pops up out of the woodwork. 
who claims that they can predict the future. And what's so sad is that there are 18,000 idiots who immediately say, yeah, 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 you know. And they always predict the future in such unbelievably general terms. Like, for example, I could start predicting. You want me to predict the future? In the next three months, an internationally known figure will pass from the scene. Any insurance man will tell you that. Well, I just said an internationally known figure, friends. That could be anything, uh, anybody. This <laughs> and it could be some guy that heads the international division of the Continental Can Company. He's internationally known. So you, you, that's the way you do it, see? And later on, you come back and you say, see, I predicted it. Well, you're saying, in the next four months, there will be political revelations that will surprise many people. Bump, ba dum bump. This is the way you make these things. You get on Long John Show, and he says, well, I don't buy it, but I'll tell you this. Uh, yeah, folks, that's... A... <laughs> I don't know. I'll tell you what. The... We make you wonder what it's all about, then. <laughs> the seventh the seventh progressive house of Neptune moving into the fourth natal regressive phase of Pluto in the ascension man oh man that's the kind of stuff that W.C. Fields used to do so well he would have made a fantastic television astrologian as they pronounce it yes you have a very interesting house my friend Hey, you are Aquarius. I could tell right away your nose runs. Yes, Aquarius. Uh, you say you were born May 7th, 1941. Don't give me that. You're 200 years old. Good day, baby. All right, don't see. The fourth house of Neptune is moving into the seventh Aquarius. Hey, George, you got any chewing tobacco? We move one over here. Yeah, then that'll be $20, please. Now, uh... Oh, I, I, you know, it's one of those nights. But uh, I, I, uh, I guess you, you, know, if you have a couple of miracles happen that you get so you believe in this stuff. Uh, well, I almost did one night. You know, I've been in the Army for about a year now, seeing nothing happen, man. I mean, nothing. I was going nowhere. And uh, I'm sitting in a barracks. At the, they have announced that the next day we're going to have a 20-mile hike. What they call an inf what they call a forced march. Now, a forced march means you got to, you know, like uh, you got to get out of there real quick. See, uh, armies practice forced marches. Forced marches are like rehearsing retreats. Is uh, <laughs> yeah, you you don't just go in that. You know, when an army retreats, it just doesn't uh, do it without knowing what it's doing. No, you can't imagine an army all of a sudden. You know, everything is falling in. The guy says, "Hurry up, let's go!" Holy God, it's a run. That ain't the way armies retreat, friend. That's what you want to do, and that's what you sometimes do do. But that's not what you're supposed to do. And there's a fine distinction there. Have you, have you had the feeling that there is a fine madness loose in the world? Yeah. Why, practically every important person today has his own private astrologian. <laughs> that's why so many guys are losing their shirt everywhere. What <laughs> Yeah, you know. Oh well, so what? Anyway, I'm I'm sitting in the army. That's about a year, you know, and, and it's uh, nothing happening. And uh, we are having this forced march the next day, and I'm sitting on the edge of the bunk. Well, you know, after all, when you when you're two years a year in the army, you know, a twenty mile hike isn't much. It really isn't, you know. The only thing that bugged us was that the temperature was about twelve degrees out. And it was kind of sleety, and there was mud all over the place. And, and this crummy 
We had a lieutenant who was, had just joined our company, see. Lieutenant Culligan. I ever tell, tell you about Lieutenant Culligan and what we did to Lieutenant Culligan? Has there ever been a man in your life that you instantly took a completely irrational dislike to? Instantly. When Culligan joined our company, it was like, well, it was like somebody had put a chemical in with another chemical. It was like instantly. Have you ever done any titration when you add certain amounts of, of iodine or something, and all of a sudden the whole, the, all the fluid turns red or green or something? Well, the minute Culligan joined our company, the entire company hated Culligan. I don't know what it was. There was something about the look on his face. And he wasn't too chicken. He was just completely ineffective. But it was a look on his face. You know what he reminded me a little bit of, now that I think back? A guy that I've instinctively disliked for a long time, just seeing him. Jack Lemon. Now, you're supposed to like Lemon. Well, instinctively, <laughs> he, he showed up, and it was a certain look of bright, chipper-like, well, almost like a vaguely drunk chipmunk, showed up, and this guy was on the make right away. You could see that he was in the Army for one thing. That's to become a first lieutenant. He was now a second lieutenant. Well, he looked on Company K as the stepping stone by which he could make that first silver bar, right? Lieutenant Cherry... I never saw a man with a look of more profound resignation when the day Lieutenant Sherry walked out in front of Company K. Do you want to hear this story? Uh, uh, you know, uh, almost all Army stories are very, very unfair to officers. It's like officers belong to some kind of a nutty, insane, uh, fascistic, wild... No, they do not. I'm sorry, friend. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, they're, they're human beings like everybody else. And uh, it, it's... Uh, it's the poor old Lieutenant Cherry. He, he, I, I remember the look on his face of, of sort of resignation when our old executive officer broke his leg. And yeah, he busted his leg. How did he bust it? He busted on the obstacle course. And, yeah, well, <laughs> no, he, he was leading his men into battle. And, and uh, the way he did, he hollered, follow me! And the next thing I knew, he flew over the fence and he disappeared down into a mud hole. And everybody says, no, I ain't going that way. And we pulled him out, and he had a busted leg. He got up, and he looked kind of sheepish, you know, and his leg was sort of U-shaped. And uh, <laughs> that was the end of that one. That was Lieutenant Dykstra. We never saw him again. I don't know what happened to him, but he was a groovy guy. Well, all right, everybody liked him, see. And so the next day, Lieutenant Cherry has, we have a company, company formation. It's now noon, and Lieutenant Cherry has us all out there in front of the company. He said, uh, calls us to attention. And standing next to him was this vaguely cockeyed-looking chipmunk, all bright and shiny. He had these brand-new, jazzy-looking gold bars. And Lieutenant Cherry, he could signal to us. See, we like Cherry. He could signal to us what he wanted us to really think. And he looked at the entire company with a look of kind of dynamic officer-type resignation that said, look out for this guy. He's telling all of us. He said, men... I want you to meet our new executive officer. Now, I know all of you are going to give him the complete uh, respect and the complete uh, the uh, complete uh, cooperation that you gave uh, Lieutenant Dykstra. It's unfortunate about Lieutenant Dykstra, but uh, I got a letter from him already today. He's down in the uh, down in the base hospital. He says he's going to be all right. He's glad he got away from the company, but uh, he'll be all right. And I want you to meet Lieutenant Culligan. 
Lieutenant Culligan comes to us fresh from Fort Benning, Georgia. He's a brand new second lieutenant, and uh, he knows all the latest infantry tactics. And uh, we want you all to get behind Lieutenant Culligan. Lieutenant, uh, you want to take the company out and uh, give him a little drill and so that you can get acquainted with the boys. And uh, Lieutenant Culligan throws this snappy Fort Benning salute to Lieutenant Cherry. Lieutenant Cherry, you could just see his back sort of sag, oh, my God, no. And uh, he, he, uh, Lieutenant Cherry he, Lieutenant Cherry looked like kind of a defranchised Tom McGann shoe salesman, see? And, uh, yeah, he was a great guy. And he had this he had this field jacket he always wore, and no matter what kind of weather it was, Lieutenant Cherry's field jacket always had a big spot of sweat in between the shoulder blades. So Lieutenant Cherry throws him a salute, and he goes wandering back into the orderly room. And uh, Kowalski, our first sergeant, looks at the entire company, because he already recognized that the company was galvanized, galvanized into rampant disrespect instantly the minute they took a look at Culligan. So he's looking at him, see, from the ray at the entire company. I remember Kowalski walking up and down looking, he says, All right, men! Attention! Eddie's. Lieutenant Culligan's going to take you out to the drill field, give you a little close order drill, and I want you to show him just what a sharp company this is. Right? All right, men! Attention! Hut. Company's all present account for, sir! That the lieutenant gives him a salute. The lateenant with this <laughs> niggling voice. It was like, well, it was like having Jack Lemon all of a sudden. Your officer, see? He turns and he says, All right, men's attention. All right, right face. All right, perch. And he starts trotting. He starts trotting next to us. So we go up, 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 Rain is coming down. You can see a couple of other companies still drill. And we've been in the Army long enough. We don't need any drills, see, but uh, he just wants to. It's like taking a car out, you know. When you first company, it's, you, know, you want to run it through its pace. You know, give it a few oblique arches and, you know, good stuff like that. Some jazzy counter marches and uh, try to march them right through the uh, through the grease pit or something good, you know. So he says, all right, men. All right, now, double time. Arch. You know, he had this, he had this kind of. Well, I wish I could use the phrase. It's a, it refers to uh, a product of chickens. He had this uh, kind of a... Uh, there's an infantry sing-song that really makes guys in the Signal Corps mad, you see. That's very hip kind of army stuff. Like, I uh, like, double time! Edge! And you... of this, and you could see the hackles on everybody around going up. I could see Gasser ahead of me, the hackles are up, sticking up like, uh, you know, like pins in the back of his neck. Well, the company, you see, on a, on a matter of sheer perversity, usually we were probably the second sloppiest drill company in the history of the armed services of any nation. Well, you should have seen Company K. I want to tell you, sharper than attack and twice as feisty. We were snapping it off and moving out. We were picking them up and laying them down. You never saw flatter guts than Company K had that day. You know, we're going moving around. So later that day, we're sitting in a mess hall. Dead silence. 
because the next day we're going on on this crummy march, which is going to be presided over by Lieutenant Culligan, and of course Lieutenant Cherry will spend most of his time arguing with the battalion commanding officer, trying to make sure that we get our spam for tonight, right? So, the day dawns bright and early, Company K and about 19,000 other companies move out into that long march. Now, you've probably seen movies of whole gigantic groups of men, like half a division maybe, moving out. Well, we had two complete battalions of signal troops. Now, that's a lot of men. And we're in a long line that would stretch roughly from here to Yonkers. And we're moving through the boondocks with the rain coming down. Well, you know, we've been on a thousand of these. But here was Lieutenant Culligan, who suddenly saw glimmerings, and he'd only been a second lieutenant probably for a month. He was already working on his first lieutenant bars. He could see himself by the end of the war, oh, possibly uh, Major General, something like that. And he was going to do it over the dead body of every PFC and Yardbird he saw. So we're about halfway through the first two and a half hours of marching, and by now the... the, the you know, we settled down into a steady movement. Anybody's ever been, he knows that any, any, any GI who's going on long overland marches knows that just, you move into a steady, your body is completely independent of your mind. You're not tired either. You're, you're, you're truly, you're truly a, a, an animal. You know how an animal, you know, I think man is one of the most fascinating physical animals in the world. That man can cover more ground. Did you know this? He can cover more ground in one 12-hour period than any other single animal with two exceptions. Do you know what two they are? Man is a fantastic animal. Oh, sure, you know, not many animals can cover that much ground because man is persistent. Most animals will go a brief spurt. How, how much ground do you think a lion will cover in a day? Not as much as you think. Because they go in little brief spurts, you know, even, and they don't have much uh, ultimate uh, uh, endurance. Man has fantastic endurance as an animal, especially when you're in shape, and we were. See, so after about two and a half hours, we're just moving, clink, 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 and everything moving. Now, clink, 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 clink. You don't even talk to the guys around you. You just sort of keep moving steadily. And your mind, it can be, in most cases, it's, t it's shut off. It's not even anywhere else. It's just gone. Nothing. And you just feel the jar. All You just feel a jar going up, 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 up through your body. Boom. Clunk, 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 clunk. And you feel your pack going up and down. Clunk, 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 clunk. And hitting your hip is that. Feel your gas mask. Boom, 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 up against your sides. You feel your canteen. Everything is clinking all at once. Your bayonet. Your hat, your, your big old steel helmet goes bouncing on your head. Well, that's the way it feels. That's a very interesting little essay, wasn't it, friends? Well, that's, that's, uh, you, you, you go after about uh, three, four hours, you've covered possibly, already you've covered 
probably in three or four hours you can cover darn near eight, nine, ten, ten miles, believe it or not. Yeah, you cover a lot of ground moving like that. Steady movement. And you can see the dust rising from a company ahead of you and the dust rising from the company behind, you see. Well, this was, this was a fragmented march. We were supposed to be going to different destinations. One group was going this way, one group was going another. Well, after seven hours of straight marching, seven hours, we've stopped briefly to eat a sea ration on the run, and we are moving along. Every, every hour, moving, see, every hour. Then you'd hear this, the little patter of tiny feet. It's our friendly little lieutenant. He's running around there like, like some kind of a berserk, maniacal French poodle, see, yapping at our heels, yelling at stuff. You know? Nobody's listening at all. He's yelling at things. Hey, could you stretch up, dress up that hill? Right, but every, every hour, uh, on the hour, he would holler, Company! Take five! Fall out! Take five! We just fall backwards. Every guy just sort of leans over and falls backward right where he is. You sit on your bottom, you see, and you lean back on your pack. And Gasser turns to me and he says, after eight hours of this, he says, did you ever see more of a horse's behind in your life? And I said, no, Gasser, that is true. And I had his Zinsmeister sitting there with his helmet pushed down over his head. And Edwards is sitting there, everybody. But the company has no spirit whatsoever under this m maniacal idiot. Well, Elkins gets up and he drags his pack over. He slipped down, he slipped the two shoulder straps off, and he's dragging a pack down around his bottom. saying he comes dragging over, and he says, listen. You guys, we're going to give it to him. Gasser says, what are you going to do? He says, keep an eye on Edwards. Okay? This guy's got to give us a gas attack, right? All right, we'll give it to him during the gas attack. Okay? Yeah. So we sit back. And here's the lieutenant sitting there. He's got a map. You can always tell a lieutenant that's bucking. He takes out a map, no matter what's going on. He's got a map, see. He takes out the... He doesn't know what it is. It's a map of, of some state 25,000 miles away, but he's looking at it, see. He's got this map on, and his fatigues are very clean and very pressed. And you should have seen them gold bars. They were four feet long. And he's sitting back there, seeing he's looking at the map, and he's he's got a real... His, his hair is not only, sh you know, cut short, but you can see where they've shaved his head and his neck is red right up to the top of his helmet. He's a real shave tail. He's sitting there looking very official. And then it started to happen. Talk about attrition. I would say roughly about hour 10, we are nearing our destination, which was a big bivouac area. The rain is coming down. It's cold and cruddy. We've got our raincoats on now which made us all look totally anonymous. We've all got our helmets pulled down low, and we're slogging through the mud. That's the mud. When all of a sudden he does it, 
thing we were waiting for. He turns to the company. The company is now moving over a gravel road through a creek bed. Remember that creek bed ahead of us. He turns, and he's out in front of the company now. He's, he's got this maniacal look, see, and he's going to show the, the captain of the other company and Lieutenant Cherry what a fantastic officer he is. And he's running backwards, and all of a sudden he hollers, Gas! 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 Instantly, Company K goes into its gas maneuver. Well, now, for those of you who don't know how this is, this is a whole series of movements that the company instantly makes. You rip open your helmet, or rather your gas mask. There's a big flap on the top. You rip it open, see, and, it, and you've been practicing this thing for a year. You know exactly how to do it. You pull the mask down over this way and up, and down with the straps over the back. You flip your helmet off at the same time, and you flip your helmet back on, and you're supposed to be able to put your gas mask on in like three and a half seconds flat, see. Well, we do. And now you've got nothing but a whole bunch of totally anonymous guys all wearing these masks. Well, now, when you wear a gas mask, you can hear the, the air hissing into it, hissing into it. The lieutenant suddenly hollers. The lieutenant suddenly hollers. Double time! Double time! Let's move out! We ran for a half an hour with our gas mask on and sweat pouring out of our ears. And then it started. Way in the back, somebody hurled a totally unprintable epithet. And it floated out of the company and he couldn't see who did it. And we're running. And then somebody went... Who done that? Who done that? And then somebody up in the front... saying bad things and it's coming out of the gas mask you can't see who's saying it you can't even see the eyes the faces or nothing they're running i can't tell you some of the things by the way those of you who are interested in going in the armed forces i will send you a list of some of the things we said that might be handy for you this was a company that knew exactly how to use its words and knew a lot of words that a lot of you guys never heard of this will be sent to you if you are over 17 and must be mailed and planned to see a brown rapper say yeah i'm going to get drafted and i want to know what to do we'll send you the dope well, after 45 minutes of this, Lieutenant Culligan was as white as a sheet. He was shipped out of the company 10 days later. I never heard from him again. Once we got a postcard from Lieutenant Dykstra. He was first Lieutenant Dykstra then. He sent us a postcard from uh, Nice, France. He says, Wish you were here, you slobs. I made it big. Get your leg broke, you may do it. Hang on.